When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, this is Joey. Before we get started with this Georgia Tech preview, I wanted to come on and just give you a quick little message here. We recorded this episode several days really before it was intended to be posted, and in the time since the recording and before the posting, uh, Georgia Tech got some really bad news for its season. Uh, All-ACC preseason, all-ACC running back Diedrich Mills uh, has been dismissed from the team as a star player being kicked off the team, and so wanted to come on here and just let you all know that's something that happened. Um, And so you're going to hear quite a bit of talk about him within this episode. Just know that it's not because we're all just totally oblivious to anything that's going on. It's more a thing of uh, sometimes that's just the way that podcasting works is you, you, uh, you record an episode and then you release it. And in the gap in between the episode, you know, the, the content that you talked about is like entirely undone or, uh, changes in a major, major way. So uh, just throwing that out there that, yes, we are all aware, very much aware, that uh, Diedrich Mills is no longer on the Georgia Tech football team. At BBAC moving forward, uh, they're looking at some combination of Quade Weimerskirch, uh, Kervante Benson, Jerry Howard, uh, maybe even Jordan Ponchez Mason, a couple of true freshmen there at the end. Um, I don't know how this would have changed our uh, our picks for the season, you know, as far as records, but... Uh, again, this this does play a pretty huge role. This was the the star player of Georgia Tech's offense coming back after a really strong true freshman campaign. Uh, so again, Georgia Tech going to be without Diedrich Mills this season. We are aware of it. So when you when you hear some talk about him in this episode, just know uh, that he he in fact will not be playing with them this season. But uh, wanted to come on here and establish that before we get started. But uh, without further ado, please enjoy this episode of the Basketball Conference Podcast, where we are talking about Georgia Tech with a very, very special guest who I think you're all going to be uh, really, really enjoy hearing his uh, his opinions and his thoughts on the Yellow Jackets going into 2017. Thanks and enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. I'm a Georgia Tech grad and a Louisville fan. He is Mike McDaniel. He is a Virginia Tech grad and Notre Dame fan. Mike, we got a great guest on with us. First question, do you mind if I introduce him? Curveball. I'll make an exception. You can definitely introduce him. Yeah, we're changing it up tonight. We are uh, we are previewing the 2017 Georgia Tech season. As I said, I am a Georgia Tech alumnus. I am a Georgia Tech fan. Uh, and so I decided to reach out to bring on a very special guest to join us tonight to talk about the 2017 season. Uh, a former player for multiple years under Paul Johnson, a, an all-ACC center. He was an aerospace engineer. He has since graduated from law school. Uh, he is now the color commentator on the Georgia Tech radio broadcasts, along with Andy Demetra. We welcome Mr. Sean Bedford to the program. Sean, it is so great to have you on. Uh, welcome aboard. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on with you two. Absolutely. We're looking forward to talk about, uh, talking about Georgia Tech here tonight. 
So coming off the 2016 season, it was a nine and four campaign. It was it was a I think a, a pleasant surprise how strongly the team ended the year. Uh, sent off Justin Thomas and a really core group of seniors really nicely. We're going to talk about 2017 here in just a second, but while we've got you on, I wanted to see if you could give us your favorite Paul Johnson story from either your playing or broadcasting days, and we'll we'll do our best here to maybe keep it like PG-13. Well, it actually worked out pretty well. I was able to think of one that I think is going to pass the censors here. Um, but in Coach Johnson's first year in 2008, um, there was a lot of skepticism coming in, and obviously winning does a lot to alleviate all of that. And so I think Sports Illustrated picked us to finish 3-9, and nine, and we just managed to go through the season, and it was like bang, 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 win after win after win in unexpected fashion after unexpected fashion. And ultimately, we got down to the last game of the season, uh, the 2008 edition of Clean Old Fashioned Hate. Uh, Georgia Tech had lost seven in a row to Georgia at that point. We came in the locker room down 16, uh, 16 points. I think it was 28-12. to 12. And Coach Johnson just kind of called everybody in and said, if you don't think we can win this game, you walk out of that locker room right now. And he just pointed to the door. Um, I think that sent a message to everybody. And it was that first moment where he had that ability to call his shots. And we all just kind of looked around and said, I don't care what the numbers say right now. We believe in this man. And um, obviously it proved pretty prophetic because he managed to uh, rally the team to an incredible win. We won 45-42. to 42 And... Uh, that was really a big turning point for this program. Well, that's that was an unexpected answer uh, <laughs> coming all the way back, storming back like that. Um, well, let's let's fast forward now to to this season. Quarterback situation to me is extremely interesting. You have Justin Thomas gone out the door, right? Obviously, a great starter for the team uh, for a number of years. You knew what you were getting in Justin Thomas from a leadership perspective. Um, from what kind of athlete he was, what kind of passer he was, which is important, even in a Georgia Tech offense that runs the ball as much as they do. And now you move to Matthew Jordan, or is it Taquan Marshall, but probably Matthew Jordan, to a guy who surprised me in person last year um, in Blacksburg at that game where, you know, Georgia Tech comes in, starting center's out, Justin Thomas is out, and, you know, here comes Matthew Jordan. Nobody's expecting him to do anything. Guy's not the greatest passer in the world, but... He's a hell of a runner, has good command at that offense. So what's the ceiling for this team with Matthew Jordan playing the quarterback position? And um, I guess what's the floor as well? Because, you know, I, I think if the floor is, you know, upsetting Virginia Tech and Blacksburg, I mean, I think you'll take it. Well, so, Mike, I'm actually going to use some of my law degree here, and I'm going to object on the grounds of speculation because it is very much a question as to who the starting quarterback is going to be. And I think a lot of us came into this assuming it was going to be Matthew Jordan, which makes perfect sense. I mean, as you mentioned, he went into Blacksburg in relief of Justin Thomas, came right in and was able to lead kind of an unconventional game plan, but he led Tech to victory. And he's, um, unfortunately for him, he's had, he missed all of the spring with a foot injury. He's been rehabbing that through the summer. And the word out of camp is he just doesn't seem to have really shaken the rust off at this point. And so the problem for him is that the other three quarterbacks in the, who are vying for the starting spot have all set themselves apart as being really exceptional at one thing or another or have just proven to be pretty darn good. Uh, so, for example, this past week they had a, a scrimmage that was open to the public and we got a chance to see what uh, Lucas Johnson could do, a young man out of uh, Richard Freshman out of California. Uh, Jay Jones, who is an incredibly dynamic athlete, Taquan Marshall, who, as you mentioned, uh, is very much alive for that starting spot. Uh, to go to your question, though, 
if this is a Matthew Jordan-led team, you know, it's hard to say exactly what the floor is and what the ceiling is um, because it's going to depend on how other teams adjust to the, the game plan the Tech's going to run. And so you can predict that if Matthew Jordan is the starting quarterback, it is going to be more of a, a power running offense than it's been with less of an emphasis on getting the ball out to the perimeter because Justin Thomas, once he got around that tackle, you know, he was one juke away from taking it to the house. Matthew Jordan doesn't have that breakaway speed, but where he separates himself from um, from Justin Thomas is his size and his, his physical stature. He can get in there and move the line. Um, I think a lot of Tech fans have compared him to Joshua Nesbitt. I don't know if he's he's quite that big and strong. Um, you know, a little story about Joshua Nesbitt, his weightlifting partners his senior year were me and Brad Jefferson, the starting middle linebacker. So you're doing something right as a quarterback if you're lifting with, you know, your your all-conference linebacker and center. Um, so Josh Nesbitt was a, a freak when it came to the weight room. Um, but as far as what Tech's quarterback situation is going to be like, we, we've seen, I think, what Matthew Jordan can do if he's put in the position to succeed. But you know, it's going to be a question of, is that what Tech wants to do? Is that what Paul Johnson wants this offense to be this year? And I think when you have, when you look around and see all the skill in that backfield that's coming back between Diedrich Mills, who's gotten a lot of shine this offseason, but also Clinton Lynch, who is an incredibly dynamic playmaker at one of the A-back positions, Quay Searcy, another guy who can make huge plays, um, as he demonstrated against Boston College in Georgia last year and then J.J. Green, among others. And there have been a couple of other guys who've just shown these flashes. It's going to be really important that Tech gets the ball in the hands of a quarterback who can distribute it to those playmakers. And the question then becomes, is that person Matthew Jordan? Is it Taquan Marshall? Or is it one of the two freshmen? Um, I don't know, and I can't really give you a good answer because I have no idea which way Paul Johnson's leaning at this point. I, I think it's interesting, Sean. There's some folks in the, within the Tech uh, fan base, I think, that maybe are naturally pessimistic about the team, especially coming off of a, a pretty strong finish last year at 9-4. and four. They're preparing themselves for a letdown, so to speak, and, and kind of uh, having flashbacks to 2015, a 3-9 season. And the thing that I keep reminding them is, you know, you talk about a team that returns a whole bunch of starters, especially at the skill positions on offense and most of the offensive line and just has to replace their quarterback. Does that sound more like the 2015 season or the 2014 season? That sounds a whole lot like the Orange Bowl season. And so I, I guess what I, what I want to get into uh, from the quarterback position, um, Justin Thomas, you know, again, we talked about he was a very specific skill set. You know, he was uh, extremely athletic. He was maybe a little smaller, very quick, very agile. Um, the, the quarterbacks that you mentioned in there have kind of varying skills within that realm as well as, you know, the passing realm and everything else. Um, and I think the thing that we've seen under Paul Johnson is that depending on the quarterback and what he does, uh, the, the offense's focus will change. You know, you saw in Blacksburg that Matthew Jordan is going to run the ball up the middle more so than you saw from Justin Thomas. Uh, they're going to run that QB ISO play. So, as, as Georgia Tech looks to replace its quarterback here in 2017, is, is there any major shift that you're expecting in offensive kind of philosophy or style or strategy? Or do you think it's going to look more just basically like what we've seen under Justin Thomas? Well, I think Paul Johnson is going to run his system in some way, shape, or form, no matter who his quarterback is. But I would I would sort of temper that by saying that Coach Johnson has come out this week and he said that Right now, if he had to, he could call uh, call a game plan for three of the four quarterbacks at this point. Um, 
And surprisingly, I think the sort of implication of all that was that at this point, Matthew Jordan would be the quarterback that he couldn't call a game plan for because he hasn't had enough time with them this fall camp to figure all that out. Um, you know, I kind of hinted at it. I think if, if Matthew Jordan's going to be the quarterback, you're going to see a lot more midline option than you've seen with Justin Thomas. Uh, you're going to see some more QB ISO, as you mentioned. Um, there's going to be a lot more emphasis on the play-action pass probably rather than the rollout packages that, that Justin Thomas got to throw a lot of this past year. If you go to some of the other guys, though, I think it, it becomes a little bit more Justin Thomas-esque. I think Taquan Marshall would probably get a, a game plan called for him that's fairly similar to what uh, Paul Johnson has called for Justin Thomas the last couple of years with the possible exception that I think there would be a little bit more midline in there. Uh, Taquan Marshall has shown a, a really good ability to avoid big hits and to, to get down without taking a real hard shot, which is really important because, you know, if you're running the midline option, you're really ducking it up in there uh, with some linebackers, with some defensive linemen all around you. So you've either got to be big enough to take that or you've got to be slippery enough to shed some of those really hard tackles and avoid taking those big shots. Um, and then if, if someone like Jay Jones is in, uh, I imagine the game plan would be very similar to Justin Thomas because uh, he may not have the top-end speed that Thomas did, but he's very elusive, very dynamic with the ball in his hands. Uh, I've heard Mike Vick comparisons thrown out. I, I think that's maybe a bit much, as, I, as I'm sure Mike can attest to. Uh, Mike Vick was a very special player. Um, but it does seem like he's a highlight reel when he has the ball in his hands. And as Paul Johnson likes to say, something big's going to happen for someone. I just can't guarantee you who it's going to be. It could be the offense. It could be the defense. Uh, so he's got to work on security and playing within the offense a little bit more. So I think if he were to be the quarterback, you might see uh, maybe a little bit of a dialed-back, simplistic version of it just to try to force him to play within the boundaries of the offense as opposed to uh, allowing him to improvise. And if Lucas Johnson's the quarterback, all bets are off because – uh, he can really sling it. Um, Justin Thomas, I think, to this point, has been the best passing quarterback that Paul Johnson's had. Lucas Johnson might be better already, and, and he still has a lot to prove, but he's put some touch on passes and practices in the spring game that make you kind of step back and say, wow, this kid could be something special. Um, and he's a really good athlete, too. In terms of running style, he reminds me a lot of Colin Kaepernick when he was at Nevada, uh, kind of a longer strider, deceptively fast in that you know, he's taking these big strides, and it doesn't seem like he's moving that quickly, but he's covering an awful lot of yardage. Um, so I think that might be a little bit more perimeter-oriented with a little bit more of an emphasis on the pass if he ultimately winds up being the starter. That Jay Jones comparison is interesting because I think the closest player I've seen, um, at least in my lifetime, since Michael Vick is Lamar Jackson. And I don't even, I mean, when looking at Lamar Jackson, it's really just what he does with the ball in his hands as a runner, not necessarily as a passer. So it's a really interesting comparison there. Um, so Dietrich Mills, preseason all ACC, spectacular year last year as a freshman. How good do you think he can be at his peak? I mean, I think we're just scratching the surface with him. And then in addition, who else do you expect to step up on offense outside of the quarterbacks? And of course, Dietrich Mills. Well, Dietrich Mills is interesting because one of the things that struck me last year watching him run was he runs like an upperclassman as a true freshman. Um, you know, he was low to the ground. He embraced contact. He sought people out. He kept driving his knees um, after initial contact, which is one of the things that you really have to teach a lot of young players is you don't, you know, guys are a lot bigger than they were in high school. And so all of a sudden, um, you know, when that linebacker hits you, he's not just kind of wrapping up on you and trying to drag you to the ground. He's coming with, you know, a, a several years of a college strength program behind him. 
but Dedrick Mills took that on, and I, I think he was a very powerful runner. The thing you have to be concerned about with that is, has he already peaked too early? I don't think he has. He looks bigger this year, but he doesn't look like he's lost a step. I think he can be a very, very bruising, um, bellwether kind of back who can really carry the load for this Tech team. And what I like about the situation he's going to be put in is that, as I kind of mentioned a little bit earlier, there are enough dynamic playmakers at the A-back position that defenses can't just key in on trying to stop him and trying to concentrate everything up the middle. Uh, they've got to account for Clinton Lynch, and I think that's going to open up some lanes for Dedrick Mills to get some runs. I think he can be a really strong back. I don't know that he has the top-end speed to be uh, you know, a guy who's making sports center highlights, you know, top 10 kind of highlights every week, but he can carry the load, and I think he can be a thousand, easily a 1,000-plus yard back, and um, you know, I think there was some discussion as to whether or not he could even be a 1,500-yard back down the road. I don't know if he's going to get enough touches to do that, but I think he can definitely carry the load for this team. As far as other players, um, you know, I think any of those quarterbacks I mentioned would all be pretty good candidates, but uh, I'd also throw out Jerry Howard, um, Diedrich Mills' backup, who was a guy that I don't think a lot of people had on the radar, but he looked incredibly good in this uh, past week's scrimmage, and I think he... You know, he's not going to overtake Mills anytime soon, but he could certainly be more than serviceable if called upon. That's another true freshman that, from everything I've heard, I mean, it sounded like Jerry Howard was running in a lot of the same ways that Diedrich Mills was running last year. I remember I was in Ireland at the opener against Boston College and watching Diedrich Mills as a true freshman first college game, and he's barreling into a very physical Boston College defense. If you get a guy like Jerry Howard doing the same thing, I mean, that becomes a very physical, dangerous one-two punch for opposing defenses. Really can wear another team down. Uh, Sean, I want to move over to the, to the defense. I, overall, I feel like defensively, the group has done best when Ted Roof has been calling a more aggressive style. So when they're, uh, they're pressing the corners up a little bit, they're blitzing uh, with linebackers. You, so this is something that we saw them do successfully towards the end of, uh, of 2016. The defense really stepped up at the end of the year, and I think a lot of it was that aggressive style. Do you expect that to carry over from the end of 2016, or, or what are your ex- expectations for the defense in general? Well, I think there's going to be some incentive for that to, to be the case. I think Ted Roof has seen uh, over the past couple of years just when his defenses have been most effective. Um, you know, it's. I'm tempted to say there was a similar sort of pattern to the season defensively in 2014 where really it seemed like he, he got much more aggressive towards the end of the year. They ultimately wound up uh, generating a lot more turnovers as a result of that, and that really springboarded them to their Orange Bowl run. Um, but in 2015, things didn't work out so well for Tech. But I think 2015 is, is such an anomaly in terms of how many guys got hurt, all the bad breaks that went against them. It's really tough to read too much into that. I think the one thing that sort of militates in favor of keeping the pressure on is the fact that the entire defensive secondary returns, so you do have an element of leadership in the back half of the defense. But really, the question is up front, and it's it's that front seven and replacing P.J. Davis and Pat Gamble and trying to figure out where that pass rush is going to come from. Um, I think a lot of uh, Coach Roof's decision is going to hinge on whether or not Brant Mitchell is is able to take over the reins as the go-to linebacker and the guy who's the leader of that defense. If he's able to handle all that, get everybody lined up right, and they can um, show that they're capable of playing with that sort of reckless abandon from the get-go, I think that's the direction they'll go in. 
The other question is, up front, are they able to generate any more pressure than they did last year? Because the pass rush for Georgia Tech, with the exception of the Virginia Tech game, was abysmal. Uh, and I, I guess you'd throw in the Kentucky Bowl game there as well um, as the exception. But if guys like Antonio Simmons and Keyshawn Freeman and Henri St. Amour are able to generate some, some heat off the edge without having to bring those linebackers, Coach Roof may be able to get away with playing a little bit softer from the, you know, the back seven and trying to let his front four really get the pressure. There's a lot of young talent there, um, talent that's seen some action but, but really doesn't have a ton of starting experience. Um, so that's one of the areas that I'm watching most closely is what do we see early on out of the defensive line and linebackers because I think that's going to set the, the tenor for what this Georgia Tech defense is going to be at least for the first half of the season. Well, you partially answered my question. What do you expect from this defensive unit? Um, this, you know, the second and third levels of the defense, more experience than, you know, maybe that defensive front. Um, you are replacing some playmakers on that side of the ball. So what do you think about this unit as a whole? Um, improvements from last year are about the same. Do you expect to step back? Uh, you know, general implications of this defense. I think they have the potential to take a step forward and potentially a pretty big step forward because I do think um, – Having Keyshawn Freeman and Henri St. Amour acting in tandem from the get-go, I think that's going to be good. Freeman has really struggled to live up to the potential he showed as a true freshman when he was a freshman All-American. Um, he's never quite reached the pass-rushing form that he had at that point. I think Antonio Simmons, by the end of last year, even though his sack numbers don't really show it, um, he established himself as the guy who was out there to get pressure. And if those two can figure out how to take some of the pressure off each other, win some one-on-one -on -one battles. I think that's going to really change the entire makeup of this Georgia Tech defense because, as I mentioned, there's a ton of experience in the secondary. They're very talented. And if when they were able to get pressure, they were a really good defensive unit. Um, they generated a lot of turnovers. They were able to get some sacks. I like the defensive tackle talent a lot, too. Um, as I mentioned, there's not a ton of starting experience on that group, but there's a lot of young guys who... Um, can actually form a little bit of a rotation, which isn't something that Tech's had a lot of. You've got, they really go probably three deep at defensive end, um, or they have a pretty good three-man rotation at defensive end, I should say, possibly four-man rotation. And the same can be said at defensive tackle. And having the ability to roll guys and apply them situationally or just get guys rest, I think that's going to be really important so they can keep that pressure on the opposing offense. And then there's a lot of question marks at linebacker. Um, fortunately, I think... Uh, one of the, the side effects of the proliferation of the spread is that you don't necessarily have to have three or four good linebackers. And I think Tech has a couple of guys who are really talented and have shown that they can be good players. I think there's probably at least three or three or four of them. Um, but they need to step up and, and take on that leadership role and really live up to the promise they've shown up to this point. Sean, as we've gone through previewing uh, various other teams in the ACC, we have not really touched on special teams at all but I think it's kind of necessary with this team as they look to replace the the long-standing duo of Harrison Butker at place kicker and Ryan Rodwell at punter they're looking to do that primarily either with freshmen or walk-ons do you see the special teams in the kicking game being an issue for this team this year that's a great question Joey and um, <laughs> you know I think that's always the question when you're throwing true freshmen in there is can you feel good about this and I think when you look at it purely from a talent standpoint, Georgia Tech has every reason to feel good about it because Presley Harvin III, um, the young punter who's coming in, he can absolutely boom punts. I mean, we're talking, 
uh, 60 and 70 yard punts, not necessarily in the air, but he can really flip the field. Um, the question is going to be, how is he when he's got a, a you know a Division One pass or not pass rush, but a Division One uh, punt block on against him? You know, maybe when the snap comes in a little high or a little low, how does he react to that? And so there's always a little bit of, of sort of hesitation on the part of the coaches to say, you know, you look great in practice, but when the heat gets turned up and you're in a game, how are you going to perform? I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt right now. I think um, both of the young men, um, Brenton King being the, the young freshman place kicker, I think they're both tremendously talented, but we'll have to wait and see what they can do when uh, when the lights are on and when they're out there trying to perform in the you know on Labor Day in prime time in Mercedes-Benz Stadium against Tennessee. By the way, low key, if Georgia Tech is looking for like an emergency B back or linebacker. Presley Harvin is a freaking load, man. He is huge. (laughs) Yeah, I I had a feeling I knew where that comment was going. And if you go back to the 2014 Miami game, there was a uh, fake punt that Ryan Rodwell pulled off, and he got absolutely body slammed by a linebacker for Miami. Uh, I don't think it would work quite the same way with Ryan Rodwell, and I think he would actually be in a pretty good position to dish out some punishment to the defense. I think he's something like 6'2", 235 or something. I mean, he's a load of a punter. Uh, Sean, before we get into the schedule, real quick, from back from your playing days, where was your favorite place to play in the ACC outside of Bobby Dodd Stadium? That's well, that's a great question. I think there's a couple of venues that instantly come to mind. Um, my favorite game day atmosphere uh, is Clemson. Um, you know, I think playing in Death Valley, it's so cool when you see them run down the hill. You get the the balloons going off. There's orange and purple everywhere. It just sort of feels like a giant um, kind of carnival atmosphere, but also mixed in with the big football game. Uh, it's just a lot of fun to play in. But I think in terms of a really daunting, um, you know, kind of in-your-face, hard-to-play-in, but, but sort of a fun challenge because of the difficulty associated with it, uh, Lane Stadium, I think, is pretty yeah, tough to Yeah, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, there's only a handful of places that I can honestly say it made it difficult to communicate on the field. Uh, Lane Stadium was one, Death Valley was another, and then, Maybe a little bit of Doak Campbell, but not really. Um, but those two stadiums, I think, stand apart as just being a really special environments where it's so loud and every play feels like it's, uh, you know, a monumental play that you've been training all off season for. It, it just has a real big game feel to it. And in either of those places, um, I'd be hard pressed to pick, and and I really enjoy playing in both of them. Yeah, personally, I was scared you, you were going to say, like, Scott Stadium or, you know, Sun Life <laughs> in Miami or, you know, one of those venues with, like, 15 No, games. no, there's, there's there's nothing good about playing in Sun Life. Because <laughs> when I played there, they still had the baseball diamond on it, and um, you just get torn up by, from the clay. So I, I was not a fan of that at all. Yeah, you are playing center and shortstop. <clears throat> <laughs> exactly, yeah. So uh, we're going to take a look at the schedule, and... As far as I know, you can't make a prediction on the Yellow Jackets, correct? That's right. Uh, I'm invoking the Herb Street privilege here. Uh, I've got a call color uh, for the game, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna put myself in jeopardy there. Yeah, completely understand. I, I love the, I love the, you know, taking the Herb Street provision there. Um, so, <laughs> looking at the Yellow Jackets schedule, I guess we can at least talk to you about general, you know, trends in the schedule or what you look at. Obviously, the the kickoff game against Tennessee is a big one. Um, now Tennessee is replacing a bunch of talent and this is a good year to get Tennessee. I mean, every year is Tennessee's year. It's a lot like talking about Miami. Um, every year is Tennessee's year in the sec East. So 
what do you think of the kickoff game initially? And then, you know, looking down the schedule, um, it, it seems like you get a couple of important games at home, obviously Virginia Tech and Georgia in the month of November. Um, just that, that obviously meets the eye. But, you know, you look at a team like Miami, a team like Clemson, you get both of those games on the road. So general implications of the schedule. I mean, I do see five or six pretty tough games on here. Well, there's plenty of tough games, and I think if you look at that season opener and there's so much attention placed on that, but then, um, you know, not to take anything away from Tennessee and certainly not to uh, to overblow you know, opponents that come after that, but it's a three-game and 13-day stretch, and I can tell you from personal experience, that's really hard on a team, especially when it's, it, you're playing in hot environments and, um, you know, you have a tendency to kind of lose your legs when you have to play that many games back-to-back-to-back. And Jacksonville State, to their credit, that's not a, a game you can sleep on either. That's a really good FCS team. I think they're ranked number five in the preseason poll. And uh, when you're doing that on a short week coming off of, you know, you have Monday game followed by a Saturday game, uh, that's not an ideal situation. So Tech can find themselves in some trouble early on. Now, they, that's obviously a game they should win um, and should win handily, but it's a game you can't sleep on. And I think you can say the same the following week when they go to UCF. That's not, you know, Scott Frost... Got them back to a bowl last year. It's, you know, a team, again, a team that Tech should beat, but if you get caught sleeping or looking ahead, uh, you can find yourself in some trouble there. Uh, going back to the matchup with Tennessee, though, I think that's a question. Uh, it's going to be a game with a lot of questions for both teams, and especially in the trenches. I think we're going to find out very early on uh, if Tennessee's defensive line has come to play against the Paul Johnson offense. Um, there's some real questions. I've had a couple of conversations with some folks in Tennessee, and None of them seem real thrilled about the prospect of going up against that. Um, so I'll be curious to see what they can do because they do have some athletes on the defensive side of the ball. And I think we'll also find out fairly quickly whether or not Tech's defense uh, is coming out in the, you know, the opportunistic turnover-generating defense that Joey talked about in the second half of last season or if they're going to play real conservative bend but don't break and potentially allow a young um, you know, first-time starting quarterback to come in and pass or run all over them, as the case may be. Um, but really, you know, I think I, I think Pittsburgh is a dangerous team in the Coastal this year um, for, you know, losing Matt Canada is a big deal. Uh, you can't understate that or can't overstate that, I guess. And, you know, I think James Conner is going to get a lot of attention. But when you look at what they bring back offensively, there's still a lot of playmakers there. I think Kadre Olson, Quadri Henderson, uh, George Aston's still back. They have a very good offensive line. Um, if I'm an offensive coordinator coming into that situation, I feel real good about my ability to just run the ball, take some pressure off of Max Brown, who presumably is going to be the starter at this point, and allow him to make a lot of plays off of play action and make some simple passes. I think that that really sets them up well in terms of uh, making it easy for whoever Matt Canada's or for Matt Canada's replacement to come in. And uh, and I apologize for not knowing that I haven't started my pit prep yet. Um, but to come in and call a good game plan at that point. The question for them, obviously, is on defense, which I didn't think I'd ever say that about a Pat Narduzzi team, but that's where we are in 2017. Looking ahead, I think the the game at Miami on a Thursday night is potentially the most dangerous game for Tech um, that, that really jumps out at me is this is going to be a very difficult game for them to play. Uh, fortunately, there's a little bit of a lead-up to that. I think um, they'll have a little bit of experience in ACC play, Hopefully the offense should be in sync at that point, but anytime you go on the road for a Thursday night game, especially against a talented team, and I think it's going to be a blackout game for Miami. They've just unveiled new black jerseys, so the players are going to be fired up. 
Ray Lewis and a whole bunch of other players are going to be inducted into the Ring of Honor for that. So it's going to be a very emotional environment down in, in Miami Gardens. And then, you know, just looking ahead to that last stretch there where you get Clemson, Virginia Tech, and Georgia um, sort of every other week, that's that's a tough way to finish the season. And, um, you know, I think Tech is going to have to sort out pretty quickly who their quarterback is. And hopefully at that point, they will have a good idea of who the senior, or not the senior, but who the leader is at that point. Sean, I, I look at this schedule, and the thing that you pointed out that I, I think is probably getting ignored a little too much is I think if you – if you just strip off the names week two, week three, and you say they're playing an FCS team and they're playing an AAC team, that's not daunting, especially for a Power 5 team coming off nine wins and returning as much as Georgia Tech is this year. My problem is when you put the names back on it and you say you're playing Jacksonville State on five days rest and you're playing a road game at Central Florida in, what is it, year two, year three under Scott Frost, that's like subtly way more dangerous than I think a lot of people want to give them credit for, um, especially as they look to break in a new quarterback starting off the season. You know, can they maintain focus? I think that's a dangerous stretch. Um, I look at I look at this schedule and I don't see a whole lot of just particularly tough to you know impossible whatever you want to call them back to back games. I I I think that this sets up actually fairly nicely for Georgia Tech. I think the Vegas win total right now is at six and a half. That feels much too low for me. I think I'm going to pick an eight and four record and feel good that they can get to eight wins. And then maybe even, you know, anything else on top of that, I think would be gravy, but I'm expecting Georgia tech to be at least a seven win team this year, probably more like eight and potentially even better than that, depending on how well the the quarterback situation pans out. Uh, Mike, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I actually also have eight and four. I don't want to pick which four games it's going to be. Um, I think it could be one in the first four games. So whether you lose to Tennessee in the opener, I think that's that Central Florida game is, is a dangerous game on the road. Um, I don't share the same sentiments about Pittsburgh, but Sean, I completely understand where you're coming from um, as far as what they are returning on offense. And if Max Brown pans out and is actually finally living up to the prospect that he was, yeah, I think Pittsburgh's a real player in the Coastal, a team that you know nobody's talking about um, or talking about even for all the wrong reasons with the suspensions they've recently had. So I, I'd say maybe one game they lose Georgia Tech in this in the four game stretch to open the year, and then uh, you know maybe three other games throughout the slate of you know Miami, Clemson, Virginia Tech, or Georgia. But even then, you get Virginia Tech and Georgia at home. Um, you got Miami and Clemson on the road. Those will be two very tough games to play uh, for all the reasons that you guys mentioned. Uh, so yeah, Joey, I'm gonna go with eight and four as well. Um, I could definitely see nine wins on the schedule, especially if they get through. Uh, the opening four games stretch unscathed um, and you know maybe there's a team in here that you know we're all sleeping on like North Carolina or somebody like that but you know Georgia Tech should be favored in a lot of these games that they play this year um, I, I think the the six and a half win total in Vegas I, I think that's crazy I think Georgia Tech's easily a seven win team and I, I think even more likely an eight or nine win team so I'm gonna go with eight and four officially but don't ask me which games are going to lose because I'm still trying to figure that out for what it's worth, S&P Plus from Bill Connolly has Georgia Tech favored in seven different games in, an, in a straight-up coin flip against Virginia Tech at home in November. So I feel comfortable saying they're going to beat six and a half, but, you know, who knows? Time will tell. It paid off in the bet last year, so maybe I'll go, go back to that well this year. Um, 
we talk about the rest of the ACC. The two teams that stick out to me that are, I think they're probably getting a little too much credit. I, I'm, and we'll talk more about this in other previews and such, but I'm not a big believer in Pittsburgh without Matt Canada. I'm not a big believer in North Carolina without all of their offensive talent and also Gene Chizik. So um, we'll have to see there. But I, I'm expecting, especially early in the season, I think Georgia Tech is getting those teams at the right time. And it's just a matter from there of, of how they can perform down the stretch, especially if they can steal one from a Virginia Tech or a Georgia or something like that, that right now is predicted to be a little better than, than the Yellow Jackets are. Um, Sean, any uh, where, where can the people come find you? On Twitter or other places? On, on the radio? On FM? Yeah, so anywhere that you happen to be, you know, if you happen to be listening to the radio um, on a given fall Saturday, if you tune into any of the Georgia Tech radio, or excuse me, the Georgia Tech IMG Radio Network affiliates, whether that's in the Atlanta area or anywhere throughout the state of Georgia, or on the Georgia Tech Game Day app or the TuneIn app, uh, and then you can find me on Twitter at, at SeanBedford79. That's awesome. Well, we really appreciate you joining us. Uh, recognize that you can't make a prediction pick, but that's all right. We'll, we'll check with you later and see if it met, met up with your, uh, your expectations. Um, but thank you again, again, so much for joining us. I thought you got a lot of really good insight. You know, obviously a little bit of inside info uh, as you cover the program a little more regularly than uh, than a lot of folks are able to. So uh, appreciate you jumping in here, and uh, you're welcome back anytime. Please come back soon. My pleasure. Thanks very much for having me, guys. All right, thanks, Sean. All right, Mike. That's Sean Bedford again, uh, color commentator on the Georgia Tech radio broadcast, former uh, All ACC center at Georgia Tech, uh, current lawyer, and I'm pretty sure he dances pretty well too. So we'll. We'll see if we get any video evidence of that. Um, Mike, we're going to come back and keep doing these previews here in the coming days and weeks. But until then, uh, the people can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel ACC. And together we're at BC Podcast ACC. You can also send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns, all sorts of reviews and whatever cool links you find, whatever, to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. I mean, at this point, if you screw up the email, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, that's like seven or eight times in a row we've nailed it. That's like a one-week suspension if I get it wrong this time. So um, I'll, I'll, now I'm feeling the pressure. But in any case, uh, Mike, they can find us on iTunes, on Google Play, on SoundCloud. And by the way, I actually found out that they can also find us on Overcast if you're using the Overcast app on uh, iTunes or on Apple or Android. So check that out. Uh, Mike, where else can they find us on the social medias? Yeah, they can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash basketballconference, rate, review, find all of our podcasts there as well. That would be super helpful if you guys could do that. Uh, let us know what you think, you know, rate, review, and, and uh, if you love us, if you hate us, we're still looking for haters. I think the Wake Forest fan base is, is a pretty good start, but, you know, we're looking for more haters if you're out there, so let us know. Uh, Mike, this has been fun. You want to come back and do this again soon? Absolutely, bye. Awesome. Well, until next time, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, Mr. Sean Bedford, I'm Joey Weaver. Thank you guys for listening. Go ACC. Go ACC.